0: So I graduated with a 4.0 and a really promising career, and I walked away from it all. And so now I'm with this guy, I'm addicted to something 24-7, and my life just spiraled down.
1: Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, cody and justin hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Phi show before i start yapping let me check in with my co-host cody what's going on what's up justin i'm recovering from a
2: weekend i spent at my alma mater umass amherst it was homecoming probably the last homecoming i'll attend and this is my girlfriend's last year there so it was just a lot of fun hanging out seeing old friends how about you man
1: yeah, man, you know me. I'm uh, back on the road again as usual. This time, I'm back home in North Mississippi, Corinth, Mississippi, to be exact. Coming down, spend a little time with some family. Unfortunately, not under the complete best circumstances. My dad was diagnosed with throat cancer. Luckily for us, it was caught stage one, and he's halfway through his chemo and radiology. But I'm going down there to just kind of help support him. He's starting to kind of get in the rough parts of it where he's feeling bad. Just wanted to go down there and be there for him. I am going to sneak in two concerts in the middle of the week so we're trying to stay in an upbeat mood and i'm happy to see him even under the circumstances but that's what i'm up to
2: well justin i know my thoughts and prayers are with your dad and your dad is an awesome guy i met him when we went down to mississippi and i'm sure all the Show listeners are also having your dad in their thoughts and prayers so if you guys want to send him a shout out tell him a nice message or something i'm sure justin would be happy to show him and send him a screenshot or whatever i think that'd be really cool But Justin, this is a perfect segue into recovery. I know your dad is going to be recovering from chemo. He's kind of going through the rough part right now. And we have a recovering drug addict on today. Her name is Deanna. But first, let's hear a quick word from our
1: sponsors. Skillshare is this really cool online learning community where they've got thousands of classes covering all these different creative skills or entrepreneurial skills. You can take classes in everything from photography to creative writing. I know I'm really excited about looking at the Instagram for business because we're always trying to make the FASHO assets look a little better online to attract more people.
2: So you can join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare. You'll get two months of unlimited access to all of their courses. All you have to do is go to skillshare.com/fishow. That's skillshare.com/fishow. deanna blogs over at recoveringwomenwealth.com and she just has an incredible story where she hits rock bottom at 36, realizes that this drug addiction is leading nowhere good, quits cold turkey and then just starts to completely turn her life around. But I'm not going to give away the whole story. Take it away, deanna
0: I wasn't always good with money, although I came from a family who were wise stewards of their finances. But I do remember when I was a teenager, I was a rebellious kid and I didn't have the best relationship with my parents. So I wanted to get out of the house and I knew freedom would come from having money in my pocket. So I started working 12 odd jobs. And then when I was 16, I got a job waitressing. And with that came a car, money you know the opportunity to get out of the house not really really the best motivation but that's when i recognized that money was important and certainly could help me become independent
1: and you talked about your parents being good stewards of money was it just kind of simply not being over the top with money was it frugality was it did they go any deeper than that by any chance did they did they do any kind of like things with you that you can look back on and say you know what that that kind of helped me gain a little bit insight about money
0: Yeah, I guess I would say I learned by example and after the fact, because of my rebellion to them, I kind of tried to do everything opposite of them. But I mean, I lacked for nothing. So we grew up middle class home. They provided for us and they didn't really like debt. They saved and paid cash for their cars. So I kind of knew these things because I heard them talk about it, but they didn't overtly teach us about them. And then they provided for us. But in hindsight, you know, I think they're. It would have been helpful to have a little bit more tactical lessons where they actually had me manage money and put more responsibility on my on my side rather than just kind of providing for all my needs. But I just remember we didn't really lack for anything. I knew they were preparing for my college. They were saving for my brothers and my college and they were saving for their retirement. So I heard them talk about those things. So there was a lot of planning on their behalf and there was thought. So I think it was just, you know, picking it up by example.
2: So, we talked a bit about management, frugality, savings, but something I like to ask all entrepreneurs, and clearly you're an entrepreneur because you have your own websites, so you're doing a bunch of cool stuff. Did your parents have any kind of entrepreneurial spirit? Were they teaching you about like maybe different ways you can make income outside of a W 2 job? Could you maybe give some insight or background into what your parents both did?
0: Sure, absolutely. So, my dad, I'm very similar to my dad, which is funny because You know, I had the most strained relationship with him growing up, but, you know, years later we've reconciled and I identify with him a lot. So we're both type A personalities and he was a salesman most of his life. So high pressure, high performer. He sold medical equipment for many years. He took it seriously. He understood the products. He had a lot of contacts. He worked a lot. So he was a bit of a workaholic. He had an office in the home and then he traveled He made bonuses. He did very well. He definitely had an entrepreneurial spirit, and it kind of runs in the family. My older brother's in sales. My younger brother's in sales. My father's father was in sales. And then my mom chose more of a stable path. She was actually a housewife for many years and then went back to school when I was in elementary school and became a nurse. And so that was great because it provided stability when my father switched careers later in life, and she actually became the sole breadwinner for a little bit and he tried a couple things on his own and some things failed, but he kept at it. And he eventually found something that worked that carried him through his later years. He actually just officially retired a year ago at 79. Oh, wow.
1: Hmm. Congrats. Yeah. He, didn't
2: need,
0: he didn't need the money, but he just wanted to keep working. You
1: know, it's kind of what made him tick. So you kind of alluded to this rebellious spirit, but then you also talked about your parents saving for college. So I'm just kind of curious. Okay, you're 16, you're working, but you start having this rebellious spirit sounds like you're going to go to college because they're saving for it. How did those courses kind of collide?
0: And I did not take the traditional path to college. Originally, when I was in high school, I was thinking about the colleges based on what were the best party schools, which (laughs) is not really the best factors to think about when you're choosing a college. But turns out I ended up going to a community college for about a year and a half just because certain things didn't work out the way they were supposed to when I was graduating. I'm sure that saved my parents a bunch of money. But then I went away when I was, oh, uh, I guess twenty-one and transferred to a state college. It was affordable. But I, you know, I just had an unsettled spirit and I ended up taking a pause and sold my car and moved to New York City and then Colorado and traveled around Europe. So it took me about ten years to get a, a four year undergraduate degree because I took a lot of pauses in
2: between. Could you kind of walk us through, I know it's probably not the happiest time of your life, but kind of walk your, I guess, your mental state in your 20s, like what you were thinking, how your relationship with your parents was, and just like, we kind of want to keep this within the money frame, but also in the mindset frame, because I think a lot of people kind of forget how important that is.
0: Yeah. I mean, if people know my story, I'm recovering from drug addiction. About when I was 36, I got sober. So it was just kind of a theme throughout most of my life in my 20s and my teens. I drank heavily. You know, I was the party kid and I never thought it was a problem. But mentally, I think the reason I sought solace in these things and also was not the most wise with my financial resources was I had a lot of unreconciled things from my past and just some insecurities that I developed growing up, having a very strained relationship with my father. And I think all of those things affected my mental state, my relationship with money. Like I said, I knew it equated freedom, but I had the scarcity mindset. I just felt like I would never get what I wanted. was always searching for something outside of myself rather than just being content with what I had right in the here and now. And yeah, that just affected a lot of my decisions early on in life.
1: I'm curious about some of these uh, the pauses that you took throughout college. Do you think it was from just like a lack of identity, like you didn't know what you wanted to do with your life or what kind of caused you to take those pauses?
0: Nailed it on the head. I definitely a lack of identity, this desire to like get out. And I mean, I did want to see the world. I do love to see the world. I do love to travel, but just not really knowing who I was and where I identified and what I wanted to do with my life. And so, you know, when an idea came, I was like, yeah, that sounds great. So I had a friend that said, let's travel. Let's go to New York. And so I just went And then I decided I wanted to move to Colorado and I just, I think I got that itch to want to go do things right then and I didn't care about graduating, but I always came back to school. So once things settled down and I became a resident in Colorado, I went back to college and I didn't finish there. I ended up moving back to Ohio when I was 24 and I got married when I was 25 divorced when I was 27 and then finally finished my undergraduate degree. But the joke is when I went to my 10-year high school reunion, they were, uh, I'll just tell this funny story. They were having people come up on stage for being in school the longest. And I said to my friend, oh, do you think I should go up there? It took me 10 years to get my undergrad degree. And so people were up there saying like, you know, my name is Jane Doe. I got a PhD in molecular biology and I would have been a Deanna Brodus, Bachelor of Arts, economics. <laughs> so, Fortunately, I didn't go up there. But yeah, I ended up getting my graduate degree in one year, though, once I figured out what I wanted to do when I was in my 30s. So once I figured it out, I could go quick.
2: So what were you doing? I know you did not have a degree at that time. What were you doing for money when you were doing all this traveling? I know you mentioned you lived in Europe. I'm not sure how long that time period was. But like, I would just like to hear kind of what you were doing for money and what your money mindset was. I know you said you're really latched on to that scarcity mindset where you're always kind of looking for that escape route, even though it was probably something that you needed to do from within, but you were kind of looking for that like lot big lottery win. Was it always just like paycheck to paycheck? You know, I made this much money, I'm gonna go spend this at the bars and have fun and go travel, or was it something else?
0: Yeah, I mean, a little bit paycheck to paycheck, but I will say the job that I always chose which in hindsight, I think is a great job was waitressing. So I started waitressing when I was 16. I waitressed all through my twenties. When I lived in Colorado, I took off a month and a half and I traveled through Europe. I backpacked through Europe. So I got a little bit of money, inheritance money, and that's how I was able to do it. So I did that debt-free, which was great. You know, I started racking up debt right before I got married However, the way I always made money actually through to my early 30s was waitressing. So I worked at restaurants. So you kind of feel like you're an entrepreneur. You know, I mean, you can make as much money as you want to when you go in with your attitude, you take care of your customers, and you hustle. And so I always loved it because I always had money in my pocket. If I was broke, I'd pick up an after, extra shift, had money in my pocket. And then when I moved back to Ohio, I started working in fine dining restaurants so that was more of a salary based income and then you know when you're working at high end country clubs you get when you get tips they're pretty good so I made a decent living working in fine dining
1: That's awesome. So you mentioned in there that you know you get married at 25 and then divorced at 27 before you actually graduated, you know, finished your degree out. Did you have anything kind of intermingled financially? Did that do anything to change your path having a divorce that early?
0: Yeah. And neither of us were good with our money. So at that point, living paycheck to paycheck and then just wanting all the things that typical Americans had. So we had financed cars. We bought us a house, not a big house, but we bought a house and we just used credit cards inappropriately. When we got divorced two years later, most of the debt was in my name because he had bad credit. So I had always maintained good credit. And yeah, I got burned a little bit. We ended up getting a disillusionment because we didn't have any assets, didn't want to fight. And so we just kind of settled it. He had to pay me back for some of it, but I ended up having to file bankruptcy because I just had all this debt on top of me. So at that point though, I was able to keep the house, keep my car and you know just tried to dig my way out of it. And I did fairly well Keeping stable and maintaining my life, but I found myself back in my in debt in my 30s. So I certainly didn't learn all the right financial things at that point.
1: For those who like tactically, they've never been through it. They don't really know how it works. What did bankruptcy do to you? I mean, you mentioned like you got to keep your house. Like, what does bankruptcy really mean? What does that do to an individual?
0: Gosh, it's been a while. I, that was back when I was 25, and I hate to admit it. That was 20 years ago. There are different chapters of bankruptcy you can file, and I believe I filed Chapter 7. So I did hire an attorney. I explained, you know, I'm living in this house. I would love to maintain it. And we were able to, you know, at that point, I didn't have any student loan debt. All the debt I had was car notes, my ex-husband's car, which got repossessed, a bunch of credit card debt, some loans for furniture in the house. So all of that got bankrupted. And they were able to allow me to keep my house as I maintained paying for it and keep my car But, you know, my credit took a hit. It probably took about, I guess, seven years before it came off my credit.
2: Wow. That does not sound too fun.
0: Yeah, not fun. I'd recommend anybody avoiding it, if at all possible.
2: So that was at age 27, right, when that happened? Correct. Right after the divorce. So I know this, and it's from a mutual friend of ours, Jay Money. I know you did a post on his site, Budgets Are Sexy. And I saw a chart, and it kind of shows your life (laughs) told by money. And you had an even steeper rock bottom than that bankruptcy at 27 and it Correct. looks like it was mostly debt. Could you kind of talk about the journey from twenty seven to was it thirty six? Was that the rock bottom and the turnaround? Yeah, yeah, so I What know, did those was, nine years look like?
0: <laughs> I know it's crazy. When I did that graph, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. And I was just thinking it correlated with my bottom with addiction too. So, you know, I yeah, I maintained everything, and then in my early thirties, I dec- I figured out I was meant to be a teacher, so I went to graduate school to become a high school math teacher. And I did it completely on student loan debt. So I took out about $40,000 worth of student loans, still at this point maintaining the house. And then I would like to say my unreconciled past caught up with me. So when I was becoming a high school teacher, I certainly didn't, you know, I thought I was going to live an integral life and become a teacher and have this career. But somebody came into my life from my past and reintroduced me to a lot of the, you know, really my drug of choice. So I was kind of defenseless against that, and I walked away from a really promising future with education. So I graduated with a 4.0 and a really promising career, and I walked away from it all. And so now I'm with this guy. I'm addicted to something twenty four seven, and my life just spiraled down. And so then the country club where I had been working offered to hire me as the wine sommelier, which... You know, it's a great career, except for somebody who has a problem with drinking and drugging. So (laughs) that's not so great. And I just spiraled down. So within about two years, I came to a really low point. I didn't have to file bankruptcy, but I was bankrupt spiritually, mentally, physically, and financially. And fortunately, I got out of that relationship. I walked away from a lot of people. I quit drugs. I quit drinking and got in a recovery program. And so at that point I really just started to do the bare minimum to keep my finances afloat. Stop the bleeding is what I did and I just um stopped spending excessively and cut back on a lot of things and for focused on my recovery for several years before I got ready to really focus on my financial recovery. But yeah, that that peak the not the peak but the lowest point on that graph was where, you know, at age 36 when I had the most amount of debt I was about just over six figures underwater.
2: Hats off to you, first of all. I think that's pretty amazing because probably left like your whole world behind all the friends you had been hanging out with for the past, I don't know, X number of years, all the places you've been going, all the things you've been doing. And just you just quit cold turkey, it sounds like, right?
0: I did. I amazingly, I just I think I was so fed up and I quit cold turkey. And I, you know, I have some good friends from my past, but for this period, I got mixed up with some people, but you're right. I mean, a lot of these people I had become friends with for many years and I was probably worse than many of them, but I just had to walk away from it all. I had to distance myself. So yeah, complete 180. You kind of have to do that if you want to recover from something like that.
1: Was there like a a singular moment that you can kind of look back to that really flipped the switch? And then like once that happened, as far as actually getting through the recovery, I mean, did you have to or did you end up going to some kind of expensive treatment facility or just, you know, what did that look like?
0: No, I didn't, although I, not that I'm opposed to it, you know, or not inexpensive. there's some good scrappy treatment centers out of there, out in the world that don't cost <laughs> big money. Actually, I know somebody that just went to one in North Carolina that's very affordable and it's totally working. But anyway, so pivotal moments leading up to that bottom were that I just, I was in a place of, you know, the relationship I'm in is getting really destructive. He's my drug dealer. I didn't like myself. I was, I remember standing outside on my, probably my 35th birthday, smoking in the cold, thinking like, what the heck happened to my life? Like just crying and, you know, couldn't believe I ended up in this place and I wasn't quite sure how to get out of it because I was just wrapped up with so many things and then I had a friend call me up a really good friend that I've known since middle school she called me up she found out what I was doing called me out on it and I I was mean I yelled at her I denied it but it scared the crap out of me I was like oh my gosh people know because I you know held up a facade I made it look normal on the outside and so that was the start and then really just coming to a point I mean in the end I I don't know if you've heard me say this, but I like I had a vision the last night that I left and um, walked away from everything. I like I saw myself in an insane asylum just rocking back and forth. And I knew that's what where I was headed. And then I just saw like blackness, like the second path was blackness. And I knew that to be death, you know, and contemplated that. And then I saw a third path and it had a tiny glimmer of light. And I just got down on my knees and I prayed for the first time in a long time and I found the courage to just walk away. And I didn't go to a treatment center. I quit cold turkey. People were worried about me. And I remember the only sane thing, the only thing that would make me feel sane was just being honest. I started telling people, friends that I could trust, and they all had the consensus of, okay, well, you need to get help. So I saw a psychiatrist and Actually, she was my doctor for many years. I had been abusing something she prescribed to me, so I was honest with her, and and she hugged me, and she was the first one to say, you know, you should get into a recovery program, and that's what I did. So I went to free anonymous recovery programs that are out there, and I just found a bunch of women that I could run with, women that had conquered this and were helping others, and yeah, that's really where I found my strength. Wow.
2: I'm blown away, Dana. That is awesome. It's it's really just I've no know, I've known your story, but just hearing it coming from you talking to you right now is it, it's it's truly amazing. So, can we kind of talk about the years after that revelation? Like the next few years, yeah. did you develop some sort of money game plan? I can imagine the first few months were probably pretty rough, but you probably started to feel pretty good a couple of months out once you were completely sober. And could you just kind of talk about the transformation? We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth. One dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug-and-play tools you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience, and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash fyshow, all lowercase, That's shopify.com slash fyshow to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash fyshow. Now back to the show.
0: Sure. Yeah. Thank you for saying that too. I, let's see, my sponsor's husband I remember he was, I would say occasionally and my sponsor, that was somebody who was like a mentor. So I had a mentor, a woman in particular, that was like my main mentor, although I had a lot of other mentors, but her husband would say, okay, if you're going to start working on your money, you got to track your expenses. And he's like, I don't care. You could do it primitively, just write down everything you spend. And I started doing that. And then, you know, he was like, you got to check out Dave Ramsey. You got to check out. So finally, when I became ready to really work on it, I I was mentioning it to a woman, a women's Bible study that I led at my church. And a woman said, why I can help you. I've taught the Dave Ramsey financial peace university. I'll meet with you. I'll help you get on a budget. And so that's something I had never done. I mean, Granted, I was reducing my expenses, I got rid of cable, I wasn't putting money on credit cards, but I still didn't have a plan. And so when I met with this woman, she sat me down, just a simple Excel budget, had me bring all my minimum payments, my monthly expenses, we popped it in, and I saw right there in black and white that I had extra money at the end of the month. And I'm like, where is that money going? So that was like the first epiphany that, yeah, if I actually pay attention to my money, I can get a little bit more focused And so then, you know, at this point, my debt consisted of medical debt, credit card debt, car payment, student loans, and then this house that I was underwater. And so I, the house I had lived in since I got married was in a neighborhood that just did not bounce back from the crash of the market. And there were houses foreclosing all over and it just wasn't a safe area, but I stuck it out for a while Anyway, she taught me the debt snowball, the Dave Ramsey debt snowball, if you're familiar with that, where you just take your debts, you start paying off the smallest one first. And I was selling stuff on eBay and getting rid of old jewelry, selling it, doing whatever I could, built up a little emergency fund and started paying off the little debts. And then, you know, my biggest were the student loans in the house and those. So partway through that process, my house, my furnace broke, it was the middle of winter, and I'm like what do I do? You know like I can go into debt to make this inhabitable or I can I don't know. So I prayed about it. I ended up pursuing a short sale. I moved out into a ministry home and worked with a realtor to short sale the house. But I got declined and it went into a foreclosure. So here I am 4 years sober, starting to work on my debt and I'm like are you kidding me? Like it just felt like another crash, you know, back and at this point, I didn't really have a choice, so I had to hire an attorney. It ended fairly well. The bank bought the house back. They waived the deficiency. You know, my credit took a hit again, but I walked away fairly unscathed. So at that point, I was just like, that's it. Like, I'm, I want to get the rest of this done quickly. And so I humbled myself and asked my parents if they would let me move back in with them. They said yes, and at that point, um, I just went to work and... Knocked the rest of the dead out in about a year and a half.
2: Wow. Okay. So at what age was that?
0: That was at, I moved in when I was at the end of my 43rd year of life.
2: Of life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Living with my parents. You know, I will say this, like, there's nothing better to motivate you in saying no to every extra curricular activity than living with your parents. Because my friends would be like, come out to dinner. I'm like, no way. I'm living with my parents. Like, I'm here for a reason. I'm paying off my debt. We could meet and go take a hike or something, but I'm not spending money. And I just was motivated. At first, it was a little humiliation of like, "Ah, I'm 43. I'm living with my parents. But, you know, people started cheering me on, you know, and and then I heard about this financial independence community. I started listening to the Choose FI podcast. Was it 2017? And I'm like, okay, wait, there's this whole other world out there of people that are, you know, crushing it financially. And, you know, first I was a little bit intimidated because I was hearing of young people like yourself, Cody, that were (laughs) making all the right choices at a young age. And I'm like, all right, it's too late for me to go back, but I'm going to start with a blank slate and I can go from here forward. And so I just got really motivated about it. Yeah, I got really excited. So I paid off the rest of my debt, which in total was $46,763. Wow. And, um, I paid it <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, to the, uh, there might have been some sense. I don't remember that. But I paid it off on December ninth, 2017. So that was, yeah. So I started out the new year, like, maxing out all my pre-tax retirement accounts and every tax advantage account that I could get my hands on and just got excited about the next leg.
1: Awesome. So the one thing that I felt like maybe we skipped over was so you were a Somalia before you, you got clean and then you had been a teacher prior to that and you'd been a waitress prior to that. But after that, when you're after you've gotten clean and you're coming out of debt and you're paying all this off, you know, what was your source of income? What did career growth look like? You know, what was the cause if you got enough money coming in to then start maxing out your IRAs and stuff, I imagine there's you know, you're making a little bit of money.
0: Yeah, great question. I kind of skimmed over that. So when I after I got sober, I actually went back into teaching And I was teaching at, though, like charter schools, dropout recovery. I wanted to help the rough kids. And, you know, I love doing that, but I wasn't making great money. I was making like mid 30s. Actually, a friend introduced me to my boss, who is my boss now and is in a career field that I had never considered. And he was a former educator, and I met him, and we just really hit it off. He didn't need somebody then, but about a year later, he called me up and said, Are you still interested in joining our firm? He has a small business that he owns, so he's a broker and a third-party administrator. And what we do is we work in health insurance for small businesses, but we have a really unique model that's a little bit of uh, self-funding. And uh, he knew I was a math person, so he brought me in to do a lot of the calculations. So when we get clients, we have to assess the risk, position them correctly with their correct risk profile on how much they want to self-fund, how much they want to insure, And he just thought my past experience would be transferable, but I had to learn the whole new lingo. And it was right about when the Affordable Care Act came out. So I got that job in 2011, learned the industry. And then within a year, the Affordable Care Act came out and it was like a whole new playing field for all of us. So it kind of leveled out. We all had to learn it together. And that's where I've been. And he started me off at, I guess, 40K. So when I was paying off my debt, that's where my salary was. By the time I paid off my debt... I was up in the mid 60s and now I'm in the mid 70s. So I've, yeah, I've jumped and he's, he's a great boss. We're growing, we're doing well and I work really hard and he rewards me for it. So it's a pretty good job.
2: Awesome. One thing I'd be remiss to mention, um, I think if I'm not mistaken, did you like share, I don't know what it's called, like shared your story on the Dave Ramsey show? I did. After your debt (laughs) payoff and like, how did that even happen?
0: (laughs) When I was paying off my debt, I would listen to the Dave Ramsey podcast and Choose FI podcast. And so they have these things called the debt-free screams on the Dave Ramsey show, where people that have followed the debt snowball or whatever, they can go on the show, they can go live. And I decided I was going to apply and you have to apply about six months in advance. So I did. And I think it's a bit of a lottery. I don't know if everybody gets on, but I did get called. And it was funny though, because I did not think I would get called. And I went to Camp Fi mid Atlantic in 2018 and I'm like you know what this will be my celebration and I had a blast and then I came back and I got a call to come down there and so I went in June I actually went to Nashville fly down with my friend that first helped me get on a budget took her down with me and yeah it was fun we went to his studio it's live so it's not a podcast so there's you know if you mess up it's it's going live <laughs> <laughs> that's a little bit of pressure but you know the thing is you don't know how many people are really listening you're in the studio He's got millions of listeners. Which, <laughs> yeah. 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 Crazy. But it was fun. It was like everybody there was so generous and encouraging. And they hear these stories day after day, but they acted like my story was unique and treated me special. And it was cool to meet somebody who helped me and thank him. And like yeah. I got to meet Brad and Jonathan and thank them. They've kind of were the, the next leg of my journey, you know, Brand Jonathan from Choose Up Eye. So
2: I was going to ask how you discovered like financial independence and in choose a five. It's not like you're probably just scrolling through the app, unless maybe you were, and you just randomly clicked on choose a five and started listening. Was there like a mentor or someone else who was listening? Cause obviously Dave Ramsey is like the first leg, the first piece of the puzzle. But then after that, it's like you get to debt free and you're like, now what?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dave Ramsey is the gateway drug. No pun intended. <laughs> I was on another podcast. They said that and I was like, yep, yeah, that's exactly right. But no, my colleague Carson, he's still my colleague. Great guy. You know, he was cheering me on when I was paying off my debt. And then when he started listening to Choose FI in twenty seventeen, he was like, I think you should take a listen to this podcast. And I I got to work one day and I'm like, what is this? Like, what what did you just introduce me to? Like, are these people for real? And, you know, he's like, just keep listening. And so it's we we have a lot of fun talking financial
1: stuff together. One thing that I think is awesome is that while you're 46 and you mentioned that like then you, you know, you hear about people like Cody, but you're still going to do this. I just think it really highlights the fact that when you hear your story, no matter what your age is, that this is still a very important and cool topic for people to get into and that everybody can always improve. Because sometimes it's it's unfortunate that people just kind of only think about like, oh, somebody's trying to retire in their 20s and 30s. And while you know we love that part too, there's just so much more to it. There's so many people who could use this topic. And have you been able to introduce other people who are maybe you know, in their forties or fifties into this and like, how receptive are they? Is it, is it hard to talk to people who are already a lot further down their journey about kind of getting their journey shirred up a little bit?
0: Yeah, it's funny. Yes. First person that's coming to mind is my good friend, one of my skiing buddies and she's in her fifties. And so I was like, you guys check out this podcast. And I think I sent it to her when I was, one of my calls was played. And she listened to it and she was like, well, that was great. But she's like, tell me more about this financial independence concept. And so she dove in headfirst and she had made a lot of better choices in her life financially. Like she already had money saved, but they weren't optimal. Like she had, a, you know, her expense ratios were pretty high. She was paying somebody a lot of money to manage her assets. And so through listening to some of these, you know, podcasts, especially Choose FI and reading The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins, she found out like, Hey, I can manage my own assets. And so she transferred all of them to Vanguard and just switched up her whole approach. And, you know, like she said, I might not retire early, but I've definitely got a better grasp on it. And she's like, I'm going to be better off when I actually do retire. So that's kind of cool. Like we both jumped on it a little bit late in life. And uh, now the women I help in recovery, it depends where they're at. You know, a lot of times it's helping them with their debt and just getting management over their, their basic financial lives. But if and when they're ready, I, you know, I'm happy to introduce this concept to them. But
2: yeah, so you kind of just touched on one of the last topics I want to focus on before we get into the last few questions here. And so I know now you're right at Recovering Women Wealth. You were previously, was it FKA, formerly known as Miss Biology, but now you're Correct. Recovering Women Wealth. Could you talk about just like the genesis of that idea, what the main mission, the goal is with the blog and who you're trying to hit with this message?
0: Absolutely. It was, you know, I picked that moniker, Ms. Biology, and it's kind of a fun name when I first started writing. And then as I was writing, well, I discovered I'd love to write. And then I kept hearing that it's good to narrow in on your niche. And I thought about it after a while, about a year of blogging. I'm like, you know, my niche is obvious it's women in recovery. And these are the people that were coming to me for help in person. So I, I met with a woman who actually asked me to join a committee that is specifically for women like that have been in recovery for a while. And they have all these courses that they teach, and I've been heading up the financial module. And so the woman there actually has like 40-some years of marketing experience. And I said, hey, I want to rebrand my blog. And she spent about three hours with me brainstorming and asking really good questions like, who is my target audience? You know, who's just outside of that target audience? Who else would I like? And so anyway, I don't need to give you all that, but we came to the name Recovering Women Wealth because that's specifically who I want to help. And the tagline is Sober Women Managing Money and Mental Wealth because it's a lot more than just about the money, but that's definitely a huge part of it. And I now teach some financial literacy courses at some sober houses. I meet with a lot of women one-on-one and then I'd love to write. And the purpose of that is to maybe reach a larger audience and help people that way. So that's really the mission, just to spread it to women. And that's the thing. In, in recovery, like there's these steps and you learn how to make amends with people and reconcile with your past and you know get healthier in that sense. But there's not a lot of education on financial sobriety, as I would call it, in recovery. So it's kind of like there's a need. And I think women that are in recovery tend to listen to me. Like when somebody else has been through something, they're more willing to listen to you. So the fact that I paid off all this debt gives me the credentials to help them get out of debt. So absolutely.
1: So you've got the new blog name, you've got a job that you enjoy, you've paid off all your debt. What are kind of your forward looking goals? And what does the future look like for you?
0: Hmm. Yet to be seen. I don't know. I've got all kinds of ideas. But The blog, I'm trying to figure out where I want to go and what I can do to make it scalable. Just, you know, do I want to do an online course? Do I want to do a book? How can I reach more? So I'm thinking about that. I love my job and I'm sure I'll work there for a while, but I'm also contemplating maybe taking a sabbatical and like going to Africa and teaching for a year. So that kind of comes out of... (laughs) Left field, but um, yeah, I'm thinking about doing a short term trip to Uganda in 2020 to kind of check it out. There's an orphanage there that I'm connected with. If it seems right, I might just do that, take a sabbatical and give that a shot. I mean, I'm single, I don't have any kids, I don't have a husband, and it's like, why not? You know, so you we'll for the see. Moon. yeah. It. I know, and back to that. I when I first got connected with this orphanage, and they found out I was a teacher, they said, "Why don't you come over and teach?" And you basically do it as a missionary. You know, you're volunteering, and I was like, "Oh my God, I would love to," but I have so much debt. Like, I can't even imagine that. And the pastor of the orphanage said, "You know, well, someday when you're out of debt, let me know." And I remember at that moment thinking, "I don't like this feeling of wanting to do something, but having this albatross around my neck that's holding me back." And and I didn't like it. And so, you know, it was shortly thereafter that I started to tackle the debt. It can be so, it's like bondage, right? Yeah. The world opens up when you can get that off your back.
1: Well, Deanna, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really enjoyed your story. I mean, it's definitely, it's a super powerful story. I mean, anytime you can bring somebody on to, to tell a story that hasn't been told a hundred times by a hundred different people, it's really cool to do that. So if people want to hear more about this incredible story and maybe read some of your writing, where would they go to do that?
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And my the reason I'm so honest about it is hopefully it'll help another person. But people can find me at recoveringwomenwealth.com dot com and my contact information is up there. People can email me and then I'm pretty much on all the socials if anybody wants to follow me there.
1: Well, I just want
2: to say, Deanna, one more thing I want to add to that is I'm super glad you got sober at thirty six because we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. We wouldn't be friends, we wouldn't have worked out at Camp at six in the morning. So, you know, some bad things might have happened, but it all turned out pretty good in the end. One thing we always like to ask all of our guests is if there's someone else chasing financial independence, you can maybe spin this in the recovering woman wealth lens. What is your number one tip for that person? Try
0: to find purpose. And that's a big that's a big quest. But, you know, I think we're all created with a unique purpose in life and some people discover that early on those little kids that are like I'm going to be a doctor when I grow up and just know it I was not one of those kids and who would have thought that my purpose would be tied to helping women in recovery that you know it's just kind of been a gift out of some of the crappy things that I've went through but ultimately my gift is teaching you know it took me a while to figure that out and so I would suggest to anybody you know it's a worthy quest figure out what lights you up what what your passions are and try to align your career with it and then also try to think about how you can carry it into retirement. So, you know, financial independence is about getting to a place where work is optional, but if you have a purpose, you may not want to quit your job if you're doing it at your job, or you may figure out, well, I can do my purpose, you know, here, like teaching orphans in Uganda and I'm not going to get paid and it doesn't matter. So that is my, I think the biggest tip that I have.
1: All right, Dana, here comes the last and final question, the wild card question. While I know you're not prepared for it, are you ready? I'm ready. I want to frame this around the time where you're living back at home with your parents. Can you give me a funny, like, oh my God, am I in high school moment?
0: Oh gosh, I'm going to go with the first thing that came to mind.
1: Perfect. Which maybe,
0: maybe <laughs> is embarrassing, but I don't, you know, so I had mentioned I didn't have, I had a strained relationship with my dad in high school and growing up. And we got better in my recovery. I went to him and I made an amends. And in turn, he made an amends to me. But there's nothing like facing your childhood demons other than by living at home with your parents. It was like I moved in and I didn't realize how hard it was going to be emotionally. And I would just be faced with a lot of these things that drove me crazy. And him and I had a fight one night. And I was right, but (laughs) (laughs) of course, But he he got and I stood my ground and he got so mad that he left. He was like, I'm going to go get a hotel like I'm leaving. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, And, and I stopped and I'm like, all right, I can I think I can choose to do this a little bit differently here. My parents let me move back into their house. I don't care if I was right. Like, this is wrong. And so I called him up and I said, look, I am so sorry and i just made a very sincere apology i was like you you've opened your home to me and i had no right to disrespect you i love you and you know he was grateful for that but it did it took me back to high school like being like a little rebellious kid but thank god i handled it differently and he came home and all was well and we got closer you know after that we were like you know we do clash and we're going to have to work things out in a healthier way and we figured it
1: out <laughs> I was hoping to hear maybe like taping a keep out sign on the door or sneaking, you know, a guy out the window. But that's (laughs) that's a good story too. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Right. I used to sneak out in high school. (laughs) That was how they say I would not date when I was living at my parents' house. I'm like, no way, this is too embarrassing.
2: All right, Deanna, well, just want to thank you one more time for spending your time with us today, sharing your incredibly inspiring story. Hopefully there's some people out here who either know someone who's struggling with addiction or maybe they're struggling with addiction themselves. They can either reach out or at least have some inspiration and motivation that there is a way to get out. You can hit rock bottom and bounce right back up just like you have. So thank you again for coming on.
0: Yeah, thank you, guys. You're absolutely right. You can bounce pretty far down, but you can always come back up. So don't give up. And thanks for having me on. It was awesome to be here with you guys.
2: Man, what an inspiring story, and what I like about bringing other people onto The Five Show is, Justin, obviously, you and I, we both don't have experience with addiction or being at such a low where you literally have to lose a bunch of friends and quit cold turkey, but Deanna does have that story, and people can resonate with that, so I just really thought this episode was so
1: powerful and so motivating. What'd you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I love this episode, and, you know, one of the things I really loved about it is, Too often, sometimes in this community, we just get so hyper-focused on early retirement and trying to put these like, oh my goodness, look at this person. They were so young. No, this person was younger. No, they did it faster. This episode is so much more on like the empowerment and the financial independence part. I mean, you know, she talks about how when someone reached out to her about this opportunity that she would get to, you know, maybe go to Uganda and help at an orphanage that she was really excited about. She couldn't do that because she was saddled with this burden. I mean, all throughout her life, she'd been saddled with a lot of burden, whether it be addiction or whether it be debt and just how different you can tell that she feels and what it does to her life and her decision-making processes once she got out of all that.
2: One thing that I liked, and I hate saying that I liked this about the episode, but a lot of people think just because you grow up in like a middle-class household and your parents are good with money that all of a sudden you have it made. You're really good with money, but That was not the case at all for Deanna. She said she did grow up in a middle-class family. Her parents saved aggressively. Her dad made a bunch of bonuses, but she was super rebellious and she kind of lived on the edge. She had this scarcity mindset. She said for most of her late teens and early 20s and mid 20s, all the way through her 30s, she was mostly a waitress living kind of paycheck to paycheck, not saving, not investing. So just because she had this quote unquote solid financial background does not mean that she was
1: just automatically set up for this glamorous success. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's no doubt that that having those parents there to kind of catch her when she needed it was a big help that maybe some people don't have, but she was also humble enough to do that. Like she didn't just keep driving herself into the ground in more debt. She realized, you know what, I actually need to go back, move in with my parents, which takes a lot of guts and it takes a lot of humility to do so. And then another huge part of this that I love is a theme that I don't think this space gets enough credit for, and that's kind of giving back. So many people in this community the reason why they want to stop working or be in a position where they don't have to work as much or whatever it might be is not because like they want to sit on a couch or they want to have a, you know, or they're trying to make so much money. They have a private jet. They really just want to do the things they love. And so often that is just doing something for someone else. That's what they find rewarding. And that's what they want to spend all their time doing. And you can tell that even while working, Deanna doing that. And she's talking about taking a sabbatical and kind of taking it to the next level. But she just spends so much of her time taking those lessons that she learned and putting it back into the community. And that just seems like
2: it's part of Deanna's mission. And despite all the bumps in the road, at one point, she said she was over six figures in debt. I think that was her rock bottom. She was 36. Now she's been on a steady path. She does share her numbers and she's up to about $80,000 in net worth. So that's a $180,000 swing from age 36 to 46. That is absolutely amazing. And she's not making six figures, but she has this frugality mindset. She knows exactly where her money's going, what she's doing with her money. And now she's on this investment path too. So despite how many bumps there are on the road, there's always a way to ride over them. But Justin, one thing that we didn't... Whoa, what is it, Cody? The call to action, man. And so this week's call to action, we kind of get a two-pronged call to action here. So the first one is if you're someone or you know someone who is struggling with addiction in any form, definitely go check out Deanna's site, Recovering Women Wealth. Even if you're a guy, she still has a ton of awesome information and resources on there. Or reach out to Deanna directly. I'm sure she'd be more than happy to answer an email, pick up the phone, do whatever she can to help spread this message and awareness. And the second part is if you do not know anyone who struggles with addiction, take an honest look at your life. And if you have some kind of toxic habit, toxic relationship, even if it's really tough, I know, I'm sure it was really, really tough for Deanna to just hold turkey, stop hanging out with all her friends, stop doing all the things that she was having a ton of fun doing. But if she can do that, you can eliminate one toxic thing from your life, no matter how big or how small that is. So that is our call to action. That is the challenge for you guys
1: this week. Yeah, Cody, love that call to action. And I just love this whole episode. I mean, it was like we've said many times, it's just a super powerful episode. But if you want to read you know, the detailed show notes, get the links, connect with Deanna, you can do that over at thefyshow.com slash Deanna. That's D-E-A-N-N-A. And as always, if you want to join a space where maybe you want to share your financial goals, you want to throw out a request for some help, just an inclusive community for anything money related, anything you got going on, you can do that at thefyshow.com slash community, which is our Facebook group page. And as always, thanks for listening. And if you have time, those five-star reviews help us spread the word and get on more great guests like Deanna.
2: See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show.